Hi, I'm Anna Rosa Parker. And I'm Daniel Lamb, and this is Artist Inclusive, the podcast for ambitious artists who want to find clarity, community, and creative success. Hey, Daniel, how's it going? It is going well. I am enjoying Friday working here at the house. I got my chiropractic adjustment this morning, which is always something I look forward to. I feel better, well, and more balanced. That's important. So, you know, now we just, we kicked off uh, 2022. And often these are the times, you know, the beginning of the year, or, you know, just in a new year that people are kind of taking stock internally and seeing, you know, looking at what they want to change and shift and, you know, look into growth and so on. Um, so I just thought, you know, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your mindset. When did that come into play? Like this, the word, the terms mindset and, and um, how do you, how do you approach it? Is, how is it part of your life? Just thinking about your mindset and, and managing it, if you will. I love this question for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think before a few years ago, I don't think I'd ever heard the term maybe outside of, you know, like watching, you know, TV shows or whatever. and just like, you know, hear it as a descriptor, like, oh, so-and-so's just got a really positive mindset. He's a real go-getter or, um, or the, the opposite, you know, that person's just got a real toxic mindset and I don't like them. So like, you know, I get these like sort of generalizations to say that I really didn't know what the hell it was or anything like that until I think until after I'd become a business owner and I was working for myself, that's really when I think it started to, you know, come into play as a word I was associated with, like, you know, in terms of like things that I was studying, people that I was, um, you know, interacting with, um, getting coaching from until I think 2020, I don't think I'd ever even heard that there were like books on mindset and coaches for mindset in the whole mindset industry even. Um, but really for me, what it means is paying attention to the kinds of thoughts I entertain and the types of, you know, energy that I channel through my thinking and through my words and eventually through my actions. I think that mindset is sort of a fundamental principle or pillar upon which my perception of reality is based on. It's kind of like the concept of, are you an optimist or a pessimist or, or whatever, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's sort of in that world of, I think, fundamental structure. And, and I will say this, like working with some coaches and, you know, getting clearer on like what I'm thinking from a, a third party perspective and having somebody like help me check that thinking has been incredibly valuable from a, a confidence standpoint, from a business standpoint, from a mental health standpoint, and from just an overall trying to be a more effective and clear human in the world of, of chaos that we live in. Yeah, no, that's well put. Are you pretty good about kind of monitoring your thoughts or shifting them when you go to, you know, to darker, less positive thoughts? Are you, or do you just let it roll and and wait for it to come back? What do you do kind of to shift that? So one of the things that I have picked up along the way is to have a a more curious approach to the things, the the thoughts that come into my mind, um, sort of 
like a spectator sport, just watching it happen and seeing, you know, what that's all about um, from sort of like maybe a, you know, people talk a lot about mindfulness in the, in the watching the thoughts happen. And I think that that's definitely part of it, but there's also some sort of threshold that it's hard to define, but it, it feels a certain way. And maybe I could describe it as feeling really closed or boxed in, or maybe even threatened when, when a thought creates an emotion that feels that way for me, I know that that's when it's time to check in with another person because mm. generally speaking, when I feel like I'm in tunnel vision or that the field of possibility has really narrowed down and it seems like it's either this or that sort of binary that um, it, it helps to, to get in contact with, with, you know, whoever, whoever is really uh, accessible, whether that's, you know, my partner or, a therapist or a coach or, you know, anyone that can help me mm, reframe that experience because mm-hmm. usually the thinking is framed by an event, whether that's something that's going on now or it's an invisible event from the past, you know, it's, it's an imprint, it's a trauma response and I'm just reacting based out of programming. So it's trying to figure that out and right. like how to, you know, move forward from that without creating, um, you know, collateral damage that puts me and the people around me, you know, setback versus keeping moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and get out of the, uh, and try to get out of the space of constantly reacting versus acting. Yeah. Yeah. Versus responding and, you know, you know, reacting versus responding. I think that the idea is intentionality, right? Reactions are mm-hmm. automatic. Responses are thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. And also to get, and then uh, what do you call it when you're just like ahead of it, when you're doing, you're in a space where you are creating your thoughts more. And well, I guess that's just when you're in a, a more balanced place where you are allowing and, and and allowing kind of a free free thinking, then that's a, another yeah another different place to go to when you can yeah and one of the one of the clips that will be you know rolling later in the episode is from Ryan Kurzak who's a meditation teacher and he talks a lot about getting to that place of you know beyond the ordinary sort of reactive mental state to a place where you do have the power to choose you know what you entertain and how to respond to a stimuli. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And what about you? Like when did, when did this thing kind of become important to you? And like, how did that come about for you? Yeah. I'm trying to figure that out because there are two, there are a few different elements to it. I mean, the mindset word, I I haven't used that for a, a really long time just, you know, a couple of years or something like that. But working, you know, mindfully with my mind and, and shifting my mind and and uh, monitoring my mind, um, I've been doing that for a very long time, for, you know, a, a decade or so. But I just didn't know it was called mindset. I mean, I could, I just didn't translate. Then there's a whole different, very, um, uh, in, in Iceland, there's uh, this kind of a, I guess you can call it mindset, but there's like this phrase, which means it's all going to work out. So we get that kind of a, you know, there's a little bit of that in, in our culture, not to overstress because it's going to work out. Um, 
it's sometimes when things are chaotic, I have to go just sometimes that's all I have space for just to go like, okay, it's going to work out. But overall though, like my daily practice is, is more uh, mindful than that. And um, I do, I do spend um, time on setting the day. So to be in a better mindset to, you know, to take time in the morning, um, you know, to meditate or just to have a, like a positive start of the day, because then there is a different mindset and then there's more mindful, right? Um, the shift, if it comes, that is something that I, you know, creates a place where I don't want to be in, you know, if it's negative or triggering or something like that. Um, I, I find a way to, to, to shift it. And, and that just is with, um, a thought process, um, stepping away, sitting down, you know, taking a walk for me, um, movement exercise is, is tremendously important. And it really, um, leads a lot of my, um, like it, 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 it control a lot of my mindset is when I, exercise and uh, about I'm physical because now I've been inside for so long and um and um that was that's tough when you go into a world where you're like just reading other people's stories or watching television and and you just like don't really know where your mindset is at because it's gone it's not realistic anymore you know what I mean I know it very well having <laughs> uh you know been mostly isolated for the past couple of years straight here finding those those ways to get in i guess really like the tools of mindset you know whether that's you know getting outdoors doing exercise yeah. changing changing something in order to el- elicit a state change in myself you know right right yeah and then I've, what i have been thinking about more lately is you know the artist mindset and the fact that that's how I'm wired. And then I had, you know, certain things um, that are very easy for me or or maybe hard for others. And then vice versa, there are certain things that are very hard for me or that take a a very long time. Certain things that um, are less creative and uh, not that I'm not, you know, I I have logistics and I run my own business, but there are certain things of part of the business that are, you know, take me a while and I find them tedious and, and it's hard for me because I come from that creative mindset. I want to be, you know, in a, in a, in a space of creating or at least creativity in, 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 in some way. Um, so that kind of drags me down a little bit when I am doing something that is, that has no creativity. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, we've, we've seen these things come up in conversations inside artists inclusive, you know, and I think that, Mm. you know, as we all kind of sort of evolve and grow together, having, having a place to go where those problems have been solved by somebody else. And maybe there's a novel way to deal with it. That's that becomes more and more valuable. Like the further uh, we get along in the journey, just to have like that, that experience and sort of wisdom uh, reservoir, if you will, of other Mm -hmm. people. Yeah, totally. What about you? Like, how do you, how does your mindset identify? How do you, like, are you, uh, do you feel like you have that artist mindset or 
do you have a hybrid? Like, where do you, I mean, you are an artist, but I'm just wondering how you, how you see yourself and your mindset. I would say that it's evolving. It's always evolving. I think that earlier on in my life, that my, my mindset was about survival. It was about escaping conditions And the further I get from that, the more I am cultivating a mindset of being more of a generator. Um, My uh, human design is manifesting generator. So um, Mm. I manifest, I think, for myself, and I am able to help other people and focus on my impact, generating things like opportunities or helping people form relationships. I think that, you know, it's really going from a place of in, in the survival mode, we're in a scarcity mindset. We're in a, we're in a, we're in a state of lack and we're in a state of victimhood in a sense. And in an abundance mindset, we're really focusing more on the good that we can bring to others and the good that we can enjoy for ourselves and that not to be selfish, right? Um, Actually the scarcity mindset, in the classical sense of, you know, the definition is a bit more selfish because we really are focused on our own, our own, well, not even well-being, but, you know, our own survival needs. And so I think that the more, the more I cultivate that, that, you know, more enlightened mindset, the the less threatened I am by insecurity and the more, um, the more I am able to give back and help other people, which is yeah. one of the cool things about, what I get to do with my life. Right. No, that's great. That's, that's, that's really good. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we are in that um, kind of scarcity mindset and, 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 in in a space of lack, um, things are just simply not going to work out for us also in that space, you know, uh, when we can shift from lack and, and, and just even, um, like uh just look around you or or look within and see what you do have versus just constantly noticing what is lacking um that has already that has a a, a quick shift that can take you up higher in the you know vibrational scale which is I would absolutely agree with that 100%. Yeah. And bliss is um apparently the highest. You know, gratitude is very very high but Bliss is like that's the you know that's the space you want to. Those are high vibrations for yeah, sure. Yeah, very very high. Yeah, yeah. To me, for me, bliss is you know losing myself in a piece of music or um, you know forgetting that I'm even there when something's happening. You know, just like yeah, uh, sort of a dissolving of that sense of ego. Um, yeah, and then you for you just you forego. You don't monitor. You don't sense. You're just like literally almost in like no place you're just there existing blissfully absolutely and i think that the cool thing about you know these 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 um these more energetic states is that it it also has a tendency to diminish negative emotions and negative beliefs as well i know that when i when i first started like getting even like my first like investment in myself like in like getting a a counselor or a therapist back in the day 
Now I was very like scarcity conscious in those, even in those small investments. And I'm like, you know, can I afford to be investing in things like my mental health or my education or my business growth? Like I've got bills to pay. And, you know, that sort of fear is, is kind of crippling. But on the other side of that, when, when there is an abundance mindset, we're, we're more open to possibilities because the concept of risk is no longer a big threat. Right. You know, yeah. Yes, self-care um, is also one of our biggest investments. When we do that, we can we can show up for work and and uh, but we I think a lot of artists and creative people still deal with that. Like have to, you know, for example, I was sharing the other day. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine on on another podcast, and um, we we're talking about exercise and just taking the time to do so and. And this person spends, you know, fair amount a week for, you know, she does skiing and all kinds of um, different sports. And I was saying, like, you know, some I often I do want to go to the the gym twice, like in the morning and at end of day. But for some reason, like I don't allow myself to do that. What is which is so stupid? Like, why not? Why can I not also go at the end of day? You know, it's just something thinking like, oh no, I already did it. I should be doing something else, which is just annoying and and uh that's another mindset that i'm working on shift this year in the 22 is to allow myself more time to do the things that i want to do that are only gonna uh produce something positive help others and just be more fun to be around (laughs) i love that and i think that that's a great opportunity to um to go ahead and segue into these these brilliant brilliant people that you know, we've had the opportunity to connect with, you know, over the past year since we started the podcast. And, um, yeah. you know, I really hope that you are able to tune into what these folks are saying, because it really, it really can start to shift the way you fundamentally think about, well, really everything. Absolutely. Yep. For me, I'm motivated by reward. I like people to pat me on the head and say, well done, Belinda, you did a really good job. And I'm not very proud of that, but I know that's something that motivates me. So I build that into my end of work routine. It might be sharing something that I'm proud of. So random strangers on the internet can say, well done, you did a great job. (laughs) But there's other, I'm also motivated by treats. I'm like a puppy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry. You know, what it means is as part of my work, buying myself things as rewards. Mm -hmm. But some people need a penalty, the, the fear of what won't happen if they don't get stuff done, which doesn't really work for me. But that's, that's the thing. You've got to figure out how you switch into action gear. And maybe it's like false deadlines is how you, the fear of not getting it done. So you build in false deadlines or it's a reward. So you share the progress and you get internet love, but at least knowing how that works for you can help you build in little mechanisms to keep that momentum flowing. Yeah, that's that's really clever. 
We'll definitely keep that in mind going it's forward. It's just an excuse to buy myself treats. That's all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think I, I'm probably more reward motivated to a scary deadline doesn't really bother me and it doesn't really make me motivated to do anything. But if I know that the thing that I'm working on actually mattered to somebody and made a difference, then that gives me, you know, gives me a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. Yeah. And that's the thing, energy and excitement, not the compulsion to complete it, but what makes you go, yeah, I'm getting stuck into this. And then there's like that. I mean, I, I'm motivated. Of, I want to do good work. And from the agencies, there's still that mentality, you know, create famous work, create that the best work kind of a thing. And which is not a really healthy mindset because you're never done. Yeah. And perfectionism is a, is a real trap. It really pipes up the closer we get to finishing. Yeah. The closer we get to making progress. That's when perfectionism goes, Oh, you're not quite done yet. Yeah. I I live with that still there. So I, I think there's a, there's a, there's a, I don't know how many letters, I guess I could count seven letter word that we've been dancing around when it comes to all of these things and the reasons behind them that we're doing to structure our lives and our time. Can we talk a bit about burnout? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Hello, Seven burnout, my friend. Yeah, it's real because, I mean, as I said, like I just got out of the corporate world and created another job for myself. I didn't see that's what I was doing. I thought I was being professional and I thought I was being hardworking and I thought hard work meant rewards. So the harder I worked, the rewards would eventually come. And it just meant that I lurched from one cycle of hard work, burnout, recovered, got into the same thing again. And it's taken, it took a few years for me to go, hang on, I'm just, I'm repeating the same cycle over and over again. And I mean, I've never experienced true, true burnout. I've just got really, really tired and sick of what I'm doing. I appreciate that true burnout is a much stronger physical thing, you know, in the same way depression is different to feeling a bit down. So I want to make that distinction, but I've still felt it really keenly, which is why definitely in the last few years, I've started paying attention to self-care. And that's not, sometimes my husband laughs at me because I'm like, I'm all about me tonight. And so (laughs) I'm like, look at how relaxed I am. I'm doing a face mask in the bath and I'm watching TV with a podcast playing. I'm doing all the things that relax me. I'm so relaxed. (laughs) And so I've shifted away from that mode to more like, how can I have a nice chilled morning? Because I know that makes me feel good. How can I do enough exercise to keep a strong and healthy body? Because I know that makes me feel good. How can Mm -hmm. I stop sabotaging my sleep? Because I love sleep. Because I know that makes me feel good. And so that is something I've really, really started paying more attention to in the way that right now I have a lot to do. Self-imposed deadlines for things that I need to create which takes a lot of energy for me. The creation process is very intensive. So what Mm -hmm. I'm doing is I'm doubling up on the things that make me feel good. It's like a hangover. Burnout isn't fun. No one wants that. But unless you take small steps and make good choices along the way, that's where you end up. So there's a little bit of self-awareness that you need to go, how can I stop this happening again? And then you need to make small good choices that keep you on the track you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think if you implement that, just not going for too fast of a growth, just to gradually build it up, do you, don't you think that will help us if we're building from the beginning? I think so. But that's because that works for me. 
I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a journeyman. I'm a, I'm a plotter. I just keep taking little steps forward. But for some people, they tend to go at things hard. But I just, it's important to recognize that the more you put into something in terms of the more intensely your energy is spent, the more intensely your time is spent, the more time you spend, the faster you will get to a state of exhaustion. And so you just, sometimes you do have to have those binge working sessions where you're like, I got a lot to do and I'm just going to go hard, but you can't do that all the time. It's like a motorcycle engine, just being at full blast. Our bodies aren't meant to do it. It does not work creatively. And so if we're going to have those high paced sessions, we need to have a week or a couple of days where we nourish ourselves and recover. And that's what I do after big launches. I'm like, all right, now I need a downtime week just to take a couple of days off. Yeah, where I'm not creating something new. I just, I have a whole week and it's in my calendar, clear week, where I'm just kind of pottering, reviewing, analyzing, but I'm not creating anything new and I'm not starting something new. Let's maybe a little brain dead for a while. Yeah, no, I think that's so good and healthy. Yeah, I mean, it makes so much sense, you know, like we look at like the the lives of other types of high performers, like athletes or, you know, anybody who's in like the elite physical space and they train and then they rest. And then they train and they rest. They don't just work, work, mm. work, 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 right? The body and the mind aren't built for constantly being put under stress. Yeah. yeah. When I was in theater, like when you, the day after you close the play or the, the day after that, I would get sick. Like you kind of just like, because you've been going, 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 and then you just have one day off and you're like, okay, I'm sick. And I didn't realize that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good point, Anna, because for the first six, seven years of my running my business, I would count on getting sick every year. I would get a cold, at least one cold a year. And then I've made some changes to how I live my life. And I'm not saying I never get sick, but it was that just not taking care of myself and trying to run at full pace because it's really easy to think we're behind. We look at other people and we're like, oh, that's where I want to get to. And therefore, I am starting from a position of behind. And we're always trying to catch up and we just work too hard. And then we're sudden, 10 years later, what fun have I had? Like, that's not yeah. the point. It's not the point. No. And comparison is like, that's one of the worst. Yeah. Comparing ourselves. Yeah, I think there's a line, I don't know, probably the Bible or some other text like that that says comparison is a thief of joy. You know, that's I think that's so important, I think, especially for for creatives and artists, because a lot of times we get our validation from either people paying attention to what we make or we get it from being celebrated for something that we did or achieving some sort of revenue goal or financial pillar milestone. And like whenever I've hit something in my business or in my life where I, where I'm like, okay, that was a previous goal of mine or a big thing. It's a moving target, right? It just becomes the new baseline and it's no longer special or important. It's like, now that's just a thing. And one day I'll be there just jumps into another future. It's like a teleportation thing where you like, you show up and you think you've found it and then it just jumps away from you. Ryan, can you talk about your take on the link between creativity and artistry and meditation? Like, how has that shown up for you in your life? Because I know that you're a writer, a musician, a creator, you do all these things. Yeah. Well, meditation, how, how has that come together? When I first started practicing meditation, I, I was a musician then. I've been playing for many years. And one of the things that I found in the early stages was that 
meditation tended to give me a boost of energy and it tended to quiet my mind such that if I sat down with my guitar or my mandolin, or I used to, I would write uh, not just not just books on how to meditate. I would, I would write other things too that were a little more creative, I guess. And I would find that it would tend to just flow out after I would do meditation because I got myself out of the way. I got what I thought needed to be said or done or played out of the way. And I could just start into the process of writing or, or playing a musical instrument. And since I wasn't overly thinking about things or I wasn't trying to force it, what I considered to be, you know, beautiful music or or things that I personally appreciate even later on in life just tended to to flow out. So I think the the main thing about meditation is that it it helps the individual get out of one's own way. That's what I found to be most useful. And then later on, after I've gotten better at meditation, it's it doesn't require any kind of specific practice because after you do meditation for a while, after you do Kriya Yoga or a system like that for a while, you tend to remain in an open thought-free state, which means I wouldn't have to talk myself into sitting down and getting in the mood, or I wouldn't have to talk myself into getting in the zone. I could just sit down and how stuff would come. And again, you know, Daniel, you might have heard me talk about this before. I tend to to follow the idea that inspiration is for amateurs. That's that's how I I approach it because I remember when I started writing a novel, which I've never finished, but I started a while ago. I read a whole bunch of books on writing. And I believe I read a book by Stephen King where that quote came up, inspiration is for amateurs. And he described how he would just sit down for hours every day, whether he had to take care of his kids or go to his job. He would spend three to four hours every day, every single day, whether he wanted to be there or not, just writing. And even when he thought he was writing complete garbage, he might come back to it a week or a month later and think, wow, that was pretty good. And I have to say that's been my experience, whether I felt like it or not. The other beneficial thing that meditation gave me was the discipline to sit down and do something, to be creative, whether I wanted to or not. And I would come back even years later and I would find something that I thought was you know, total crap. And I'd say, wow, we could actually do something with that. Let's put that in a book. So it helped with the discipline, but ultimately I think it just helps one get out of one's own way. Yeah, that's that's so important. And I, you know, I can catch myself being in my own way. And that's a really good call. Now, can we go a little bit into astrology? Because you said you're also an astrologist. And yeah, what is that? You know, just tell us a little bit. Well, astrology, generally speaking, is the idea that the earth and its relationship to the sun and its relationship to the planets has an impact on what we experience in life. Some people, and again, as I mentioned, I've, I'd been a professional astrologer for nearly almost two decades. And I've been in the, in the field a while. And many people take astrology way too far, meaning they try to think that it's going to dictate every aspect of their life. What I have found is that it's very useful in giving general ideas of trends or general ideas of a person's energy levels or general ideas of what will be successful in a given time. And again, I I specify generally because we do have free will and we do have the ability to work within that. But astrology is how us as an individual relates to the cosmos or the electromagnetism of the cosmos and how life develops. That's that's how I would describe astrology. Yeah, I I just I really wanted to clarify that because you know there are so many different versions and then people associate and then. They associate astrology sometimes with horoscope, 
and horoscope with people that... Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> well, generally, the horoscope is central to astrology. The idea is that when you're born, the moment you're born, the very moment that you're born, that is a, a blueprint of what's going on in the heavens, what's going on with the moon or Jupiter or Saturn or Rahu and K2. Those are the, the nodes of the moon from Vedic astrology. And in that, in that moment, in that stamp, that's like the quality of the energies of the rest of a person's life. And so that astrology approaches things in that way that the moment something begins tends to imprint the rest of its existence. And one of the most important things that I found about astrology is using it in that way, such as if I'm going to start a new project, if I'm going to start a business, if I'm going to start a relationship, if I'm going to start something new, if I'm going to plant a garden, what do I want to do? I want to do my best within reason to try to pick that moment in time and begin that project then. And the idea is that when you begin it at that moment, the qualities, whether they're good or bad or otherwise, will impact the momentum of the life of that project or thing or circumstance or relationship. I, I like to use astrology that way. Yeah, that's that's great. What what if, let's say, an actor is, has a, a big audition that one day when it's supposed to be the worst day of your life or, you know, everything is against you? What if one do? Life. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, that, that, that's, why, that's why I say within reason, because, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the work I've done, I've worked with people who've gone for job interviews. They, they wanted to pick the day and the time. I've worked with people who wanted to pick the most auspicious time to go for a surgery. I recently had a woman who's a client of mine for a long time. She was taking her dog to the vet and she said, I'm not too sure about this, but she's also a client of mine that she would ask me, is this a good time to go to Vegas and gamble? And, <laughs> and, 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 and it, it worked. If I would have, if I would have written in the contract, I get 10% of whatever you win, I would have done all right. So, so you, something like that, an actress or, or an actor or an artist going for an audition. Well, I guess the question is, do they have the power to say, no, I'm sorry. My astrology is not right. I'll be back in two <laughs> days. And if that's not the case, you just have to do your best with it. But if you can choose it, you know, why not? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we get a lot, we hear a lot about limiting beliefs and we know we have them, but can you maybe give a couple of examples for people who maybe are thinking that they need to work through something, but they haven't quite put words to it? Yeah, beautiful. Okay, so a limiting belief. If I don't do well in this audition, then I'll probably never work again. If I don't get this particular directing job, it might mean that I'm no good. I'm probably not good. So we really identify a limiting belief. A lot of times we can laugh at them, you know, because a lot of times they're really silly. Like, oh, isn't that silly? So if you don't do your best today, that means you won't be a good actor or you won't get this next job or you'll never work again. So the first step is really identifying what is this limiting belief and then updating it. And an update to a limiting belief might be something like, I'll do my best today. I'm going to trust myself and my heart and wherever I am is going to be good enough today. And take all those expectations off of myself that I have to be a particular way, not limit myself even by that expectation, really detaching from outcome. One thing I talk to artists a lot about is the power of intention. So what is your intention? Sometimes I find that artists have competing intentions. So for example, an artist might say, 
I really want to do that show on Broadway. I really hope I get this job. But then they have an unconscious competing intention that says, oh, I'm really afraid I'll lose my freedom. Right. So it, we really help them get their intentions, the unconscious and the conscious so that they're working harmoniously together. So, you know, I won't lose my freedom. I will make sure that I do self-care during the day or that I'll be able to go to a museum or that I'll be able to go on my walks or really talk to that part that's unconscious that might be competing with that intention to get the part. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you're, you want to avoid living in that duality, right? In the, the dual space, like two spaces. You're trying to live in to be one and whole in one space. So all of the voices that speak to us are in kind of one, one space. Is that, am I understanding it right? Yes, you are. So, you know, again, you know, my intention is to do like, let's just use this for like, like, let's say weight loss. My intention is to lose 20 pounds, let's say, but then there's an unconscious competing intention that may say, Ooh, if I lose 20 pounds, I'll be seen. And then I could be scrutinized. Uh, I don't want to be scrutinized. So I'm just going to keep the weight on. So I'm not seen. So one of the ways that we work with that is really to go to the part that's been hurt, the part that's felt scrutinized, and add loving to that place inside, and to really let that part speak, and to add love, and, and to let that part know that you'll love that part of yourself no matter what, that it's okay to be seen, that you're safe, that you know how to protect yourself, that you know how to hold really loving boundaries. Um, so that's kind of, does that answer your question? Yeah at all yeah 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 definitely I just okay. you know I guess there are a couple of different ways of seeing it but that what you're essentially uh talking about is healing that sort of a broken part or the, the one that is contradicting what we think we want or what we want so which creates like duality like exactly you know, right right help us heal to come together and and in oneness and wholeness. Beautiful. Yeah. And to get right. exactly. Yeah. And to get yeah. more integrated. We don't often realize that we have a competing intention and then we wonder why things aren't working out. The other thing Absolutely. I love to talk about with artists is, you know, to remember that your words are your wand, right? Yeah. So whatever you're thinking can create the vibration and the experience um, that you'll end up having. So it's important to really mindfully craft uh, your words, your self-talk to yourself. Yeah. And speaking of that, you know, those thoughts, they're just sometimes flying around. And if we're not aware of them and, you know, checking in and and listening to them, we don't know what they're doing. Exactly. Um, do you have an exercise that, or something you can just tell us we can take, you know, home with us today and just sort of practice to be aware of our thoughts? Yes. Well, I think you just nailed it right there, which is to be aware of your thoughts and to be aware when you're having some negative thoughts. So really just listen into yourself and go, am I having a negative thought? Listen, if I, if we were to listen to a radio station of your mind, I would say, what's going on in the radio station? Is it sound mean? Is it kind of bullying? Are you having a perfectionist or a petty tyrant or a scrutinizer constantly talking to you on that station? If so, 
let's dial in a different channel. So a different channel might be one of the encourager, let's say. So instead of scrutinizing, oh, this has to be perfect or, oh, you have to hit this out of the park, you know, it might be, it's okay, sweetheart, do your best. You can try. We'll see what happens. You know, it's great that you're just showing up. You're always enough. This, this life really isn't about perfection. Your soul is already perfect. This life is really about learning. So good for you. Let's go in and see what we can learn. It's okay to make mistakes. There are no mistakes. It's just another opportunity to learn, honey. You're doing awesome. You know, talk to yourself in that loving kind of kind way. You can also look in the mirror and um, look really deeply in your eyes. And you can say to yourself, I love you. I see you. I believe in you. You're enough. No matter how this turns out, you're enough. You've always been enough. I just love you so much. I'm so grateful to play in this lifetime with you. That's so sweet. That's the like lavish intuition. (laughs) (laughs) And you make everything so like you're giving me a hug right now. And I've, you know, obviously met you and and I, I know that you're very generous with your, just your gift. Thank you so much, sweetheart. Well, you know, I don't care what the question is, whether it's an artist or a politician or an attorney or whoever it is I may be working with. I do not care what the question is because I know what the answer is. And the answer is always love. And if we can infuse love into whatever it is we're doing, that that is really, that creates art. That creates heart-centered living right there. Piggybacking off of this idea of being adaptable, can you talk a little bit about what your perspective has been around being nimble and being able to stick with the changing things on a long-term basis? I think one of the most important things you can be as an actor. Well, let me, let me go back in time because back to when I was trying to be a tightrope walker, my family always jokes that I was the one in the family who <laughs> liked to know what was happening where I was that kind of kid. What's happening next? What's where, you know, this, the, the big joke was we, we moved where our dining room table was. And I was so furious as a little girl that to, that I, I insisted that the family stay, that the table stay where it was. I mean, I probably for a week, but, but uh, <laughs> it was, it, it was that kind of certainty that I liked in my life. And then I adapted and we had dinner in another room and that was okay. But, but the point being that I was a, a real, uh, I liked certainty and I've chosen the most uncertain profession, one of the most uncertain professions that yeah. there is because you never know what's next. So being nimble to me means being able to take the given circumstances, which are who knows how long the job will last. Well, first of all, if you'll get the job, once you get the job, how long the job will last, where, what will happen next? Who's going to, what, what, what relationship that you've, you have with the director is going to lead to more work? What theater will last you back again? What producer that you've worked with the television circles? But I just had an experience. I mean, this is the crazy thing about our work. I just shot a short film before I did this play that I'm doing with a director who called me out of the blue, who I worked with 30 years ago. And he was putting together this really short film shot on a shoestring budget over basically three days. But it was something I hadn't seen in 30 years. And he, it was just this wonderful sort of kismet. I mean, there, the, we, I, 
we hadn't even stayed in touch. And, and then he reached out and then we got to spend this time together. And it was a wonderful project. It's those kinds of relationships where you just say, yes, I'm, I'm so glad that I knew you, that we worked and that now all these years are passed and yet we're back in each other's lives again. Yeah. Um, that you build along the way as you, because you're in it for the long run. You've been doing this for a little while. Absolutely. So I can imagine that you built great relationships and I didn't want to interrupt, but I, maybe you can tie it in because we were also curious, curious about self-generated roles and yes. versus being cast on an open, in an open market kind of a thing. Well, one of the best things you can do as an actor is be friends with playwrights. So one of the most rewarding relationships of the past 10 years for me has been with the playwright and actor Charles Bush and the director Carl Andres, who is, they, they are, they, they have worked together for many years before I met them. And then through an audition, through my agent, not, I didn't know either of them. I auditioned for a play called The Third Story that we did first out at La Jolla Playhouse. And then we came to MCC in New York. And then after that, Charles started writing plays with me in mind and, and other people. He, he writes with people in mind. And I've now done, I don't have the count, but it's like six different plays in nine or 10 different productions. Cause his plays often start off, off Broadway theater for the new city and then they'll move to another theater. And it has been one of the most rewarding relationships in my career because what um, started as a, a one off with a job out of town turned into this relationship where he knows what I bring to the table. I know what he brings to the table and it ups both of our games. And it, it's been just a pleasure to mm -hmm. be a part of his company, which isn't a set thing. It's a, it's a moving force. It's not the same group of people all the time, but he does write for, for people over and over again. And, and that has been an incredible thing. So, so no, get, get, get to be friends with playwrights because they are making yeah. work. And beautiful. I, I've never said to him, you know, I'd really like to play a this, that, and the other thing. He literally throws out the craziest things and says, I want you to play an old lady and a little boy. I want you to play a whorehouse madam and an opera singer. The last play I did with him, The Confession of Lily Dare, right before the pandemic, I got to play five different parts in the course of an evening with madcap costume changes in between. Each of them couldn't be more different than the other. And it was just this, and to act with Charles and this other incredible company through that, the whole thing. And it was, uh -huh. it was just... That's like a dream for an actor, right? Yeah. And the flexibility that he brought to me, which is that in terms of being nimble, is that for so long in my career, I'd done a lot of classical work. I'd done a lot of very serious plays and people sort of want to pigeonhole you, or at least the business does. Mm -hmm. Like she does Hedda Gabler. She does, they, they, they want to, they want you to, they want to put you in the smallest box possible. And so when I started doing Charles's work, which is ridiculous and silly and serious and moving and outrageous. It's all these things, but there's a lot of comedy involved. And uh, people were surprised by that. And I've, I've, and that was thrilling for me to be able to surprise people. So part of being nimble is also taking the opportunity and, and running with it. Yeah. But I'm not one thing. None of us are one thing. Yeah. But yeah. So in, people hadn't seen you do comedy before. They'd seen you I mean, do more classical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not a lot. So that was, that was nice. And I, and my television and film work, I'm, I'm usually cast very, Seriously, lawyers, doctors, lawyers, doctors. Yeah. 
world weary mothers, you know, that, that I remember that started happening. I was like, Oh God. I was like, former, her youth is gone. And yet she still has, you know, it's that. You're like, all right, all right, here we go. But it, it, so it's nice to, it's nice to, to shake it up. Comedy is one of the hardest things to do, but it's deeply rewarding. Yeah. That must have been so fun for you to surprise people and to show up in comedic roles. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When you, you, you mentioned sometimes it's quiet and you've obviously done an amazing job finding work. And, but so when you have those quiet moments, are they long? Have you had long, quiet moments in your life? Oh, there are always ups and downs and highs and lows and periods where you think you will never work again. And the pandemic was particularly trying because our profession didn't just slow down, it evaporated. That, that's a, that's a whole conversation unto itself. But there have always, there, by definition, you are unemployed a lot of the time. While you are unemployed, you are looking for the next job, which is an, which is a profession unto itself. You just don't happen to get paid for it. So it, it can be very challenging to keep your, your focus on not woe is me. Who am I? If I'm not working, what, what am I without my career, without a role, without anything? But you, but it's part of your job. That, that is actually part of the job. And yes, the tricky right. part is you'll be paid for those auditions, but you have to work at them like your life depended on it because it, because it does. And I love what you said earlier, how the arts are a solution to social change. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So when I first was introduced in thinking about art in undergrad or even in my community, I knew I always wanted to see art and community together. Um, I think it's just from where, I from where I'm from and in the South, it's about people together. But the more I um, was exposed going to undergrad, reading about different groups, being in graduate school, but then seeing firsthand working at Cornerstone, okay, this is what this means. Because you read and study about what's art for social change, and then you work with folks. One play that I want to talk about was our play that we did called Cafe Vita. And we partner with Homeboy Industries in um, Los Angeles. And folks may know Homeboy Industries supports ex-gang members. And that show, uh, Lisa Loomer wrote the script, was wildly, I would say, one of the most successful shows I worked on while I was at Cornerstone. But really embedding myself and learning the urban culture of Los Angeles and learning about what these organizations do how we can amplify a message. And I do feel like the work of Cornerstone, I won't say it's at the surface, but it's an introduction of how art can move things. So the more I learned about a lot of the partners or members of Alternate Roots, which if y'all don't know Alternate Roots, please check them out. You can see how folks are on the ground level and how people are using art to shift culture, to shift policy, And that kind of goes into a conversation of representation and representation is just on my mind because I'm hosting a conversation next week about how women of color and owning our power of representation in the media. But I think representation is, and that's in the conversation now, a seed. But then there are other people who are doing deep work using art to change minds and hearts in other places. And then when you step back Even in the movement that we've had here, art is always at the at the core. When you look at social justice movements in the 60s, you have freedom songs. When you look at the Arab Spring that happened, you had a lot of visual art that was out. And I love history. I'm like a, a person who loves history. I took a ton of histories in school. 
always loved that if you look at the art from that time, even if they were suppressed, you can learn about what was going on in that time through the art. There are always statements, even if they're like undertones or subversive, they're telling you about a time. So I think we use art to express ourselves. Even when we're not trying to change things, even though we are, we are making commentary on the society that we live in and we're propagating in some places where countries or places we're propagating what we want people to do. In some places we're sharing what the world we imagine it to be. This is still, again, more surface level, but I do think art has to have a purpose and artists are like responsible people in shaping the culture that we live in. Literally artists shape our culture, which is like everything. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautifully put. Wow. Very, very cool. So when it comes to artists, you know, stepping up to that responsibility and just having, I guess, a space for their own development as artists. Obviously, you've seen a lot of value from communities like Roots. But for people who don't know what it's like to be a part of something like that, can you just talk a little bit about some of the values or pillars of an artist community that you've seen to be impactful? Thank you so much for asking that question. I sometimes teach students. I I teach a little bit at Cal State Long Beach right now, and um, we just did a session on networking literally this Tuesday. What I always say, and this is the best piece of advice someone gave me, so I'm maybe skipping ahead. You might ask me this question. It was like, find your peers. I think that's true in any industry that you are, but you cannot work in a silo. You need community. It really does take a village. And what I hear folks over time had said about alternate routes, but I think you can pick other associations. There are some that may not have that feeling because if y'all get to know roots is very, we, we use the word, it's rooty. It's very like loving, ethos, spirit. But there are other networks like, um, I'm going to talk about theater, like theater communication group the Network of Ensemble Theaters, the National Association of Latino Arts and Culture. They're all different kinds of kind of service organization, but kind of groups. And I've heard people say, this is my artistic home. Because if you are an individual artist, that can be very lonely. So I always encourage people to find your network, whatever that network would be. If you are a person or a practitioner who studied at a university, maybe it's your alumni in your school at first. So if I like go catch up with all the CalArts and that may be my community. Because what happens is one community will lead to another and then you'll find your special niche. Like if you are a puppetry person that makes just marionettes, you have people out there. You can find those, you know, you will find those folks. Um, So I think really seeking out and in this day and age, there are just so many tools with quick Google searches to really find those and don't be afraid to reach out to folks. If you find organization or people that you admire or who are doing what you think you want to do, you know, send an email, call and even ask for a 20 minute um, coffee or even ask for, do you recommend resources or things or groups that I could join that would help me learn? So I do feel like our field is very willing to share resources and time. And I think you will just find your collaborators. And in one of the programs that I have, which is called Creative Flowers, um, that's specifically uh, set to nurture uh, Black women, it can be customized for other groups, but that's the group that I produce the Creative Flowers and focus on. We're about building partnerships. So we pair women within that program because we understand that having someone to go on this journey with is helpful. So I always say, 
find an accountability partner, find a mentor, find your community and people are out there and each thing will lead to the next thing. And you all can call me if you're listening. Um, Y'all can reach out to me. My information will be shared at Unlock Creative and definitely will connect and hook you up with somebody. If I don't know what you're looking for, someone who will know what you're looking for or network to direct you. And there's so many folks like me out there. Yeah, that's such good advice, really. You know, this conversation we're having. This episode of Artist Inclusive is brought to you by Dash of Copy. Branding your tone of voice for you or with you. With volcanically powerful and personality-driven copy, you can glide in front of your dream audience and make the maximum impact. Learn more at dashofcopy.com. Artist Inclusive is a production of Holland Creative and Dash of Copy. Our audio producer is Dale Isinger.